Hello, friends. Welcome to Emmanuel Cares, Casting Nets, and Raised with Jesus podcast. Yes, three podcasts hosting the same content, wonderful content, as we are looking through the book of Job together in an online way. You don't need a Bible sheet of any kind. Just sit back, listen to me read from the Evangelical Heritage Version, and discover together how we can find peace through life's unpredictable paths. Welcome to our second lesson on the book of Job. Uh, grab your favorite beverage. I hope you have it ready. My favorite beverage is coffee. So take a sip with me. That's good. Good stuff. What's even better? Going into God's word today. We're looking at three chapters, chapters four to seven. Where we left Job last time is that he was uh, stripped of everything. He lost his children, he lost his property, he lost his means of income, and now he had also lost his own health. Uh, he had some sort of leprosy with uh, sores on the outside of his skin. His friends come and visit Job, and they sit with him for about seven days, and then Job uh, gives out his lament and how he curses the day of his birth. He wishes he would have never been born. Uh, he has no love for living in this world. He wants to leave this world and be in heaven. Today, we're going to have three of Job's friends come and talk to him. If I get it right, there we go. Three of Job's friends come and talk to him. Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And as they're talking to him, there is something we need to remember. And the thing that we need to remember is that uh, when they're speaking to Job, Let's not consider it in terms of this is God's inspired word to us. Because sometimes what they're going to tell us is something that is blatantly not true. Sometimes what they're going to tell us is something that is true, but not true for Job. So uh, it's a kind of a question of tact, a question of misapplication of God's law and gospel. And the third thing we need to remember is sometimes what they're saying is true and is true for Job and true for us as well. So we have to discern those three things when we're talking about Job and his friends. Now, his first friend that we're going to talk to about today is Elphaz. So there's three friends. There's a dialogue, uh, uh, a three rounds, three rounds of a boxing match between the three friends and Job. A fourth friend comes later and he has his own dialogue Job never responds. I don't know why Job doesn't respond, but the younger, this younger man, the younger friend has his dialogue. He speaks. It's a little bit of a different tone than the other three and a little bit of a different message than the other three. But then after that, you have uh, Job and God talking um, back and forth. So God is his true friend and going to encourage him uh, to, to, to really find peace in his unpredictable times. So what do we know about Elphaz? He's, uh, Elphaz, we think, is from the area of Edom. So if you're looking at a map there, in the middle of the map, you have the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is, and uh, Beersheba is, and uh, the little white, the blue lake to the right of the kingdom of Judah, that's the um, the Dead Sea. The little the lake that's north of there, of the two, <laughs> The, the little, the bigger lake of the two is the Sea of Galilee. But down below everything 
is the kingdom of Edom. That's where we think Elphaz the Temanite uh, comes from. And that's just because Esau has a a relative, a descendant, who is called Teman. So we don't have, we're not privy to the the, uh, genealogies of those outside of the kingdom of Israel or the people of Israel. We just have uh, some references here and there, spotty information. So that's the best we can get. Uh, here is Elphaz. What do we know about Elphaz? Eliphaz, I should say. What do we know about him? We think he's probably the oldest one. Just the way that he uh, speaks in talking about respect for the elderly. Um, he's going to talk about things from his own personal e- example. And perhaps because he is listed first, that's the reason why he, we consider him to be the oldest. At least that's what I found. Um, that that's the reason why he's the oldest of the three. The three uh, friends are going to have m- many of the same messages to Job. And uh, it's not kind. They're going to keep hammering after Job as if it's Job's fault that this has happened to him and Job should repent. And Job is going to respond uh, to that accusation. So we are in chapter 4 of the book of... Job. This is from the EHV translation. And we're going to take this through in sections. We're going to look the first 11 verses first. So look at chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. I'm not sure if you appreciate that I read it out loud, um, but I'm going to read it out loud. If you don't like it that I read it out loud and you just want me to scroll uh, from 1 to 11 and you can read it online, let me know in the comments or you can uh, Facebook me as well on Messenger. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, responded, If someone ventures to have a word with you, will you grow impatient? But who will refrain from speaking up? You yourself have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have raised up people who are stumbling, and you have given support to buckling needs. But now that this has happened to you, you grow impatient. This strikes you, and you are disturbed. Shouldn't your piety give you confidence? Don't your blameless ways give you reason to hope? Now remember this, who has ever perished if he was innocent? Where were the upright ever erased? This is what I have observed, that those who plow evil and sow trouble will reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, by blast from his nostrils they come to an end. The lion roars and the fierce lion growls, but the teeth of the young lion are broken. The strong lion perishes from lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. An interesting way to begin. He has some sort of a compliment to Job, that Job has been one who has instructed many. But then there's this kind of a backhanded compliment because then he says, well, now that your life is, is terrible, that's in verses 5, now you grow impatient. It, um, man up, Job. Uh, physician, heal yourself. Take on your own advice about things. So, the tone begins to shift to a critical one rather quickly, even though he does give Job a compliment. And then he, uh, this is the essential comment of the three friends. If you're, if you've sinned, doesn't God punish you? And if you do well, if you are righteous in God's sight, doesn't God bless you? It's called the theology of glory. You do good things, 
and God will um, will respond. You reach up to God, and God will come down to you. And we know, we know in the story of Job that the things that happened to Job have nothing to do with Job at all. It is a contest between Job and uh, God and Satan, where God is proving a point to Satan that God's way is a better way than Satan's way, that it is better to uh, follow after God than to rebel. We had some question about verses 10 and 11 about uh, this, um, the, these words, and, and the Hebrew is, 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 is harder to, to dissect and try to figure out. It's just the, the essential thought in the poetry is if a lion is doing its thing, if it's doing its evil, evil will come back to that lion. So it's the same thing that Eliphaz is trying to tell Job. You do evil, you reap what you sow, the chickens will eventually come home to roost. The next section that we're going to take is verses 12 to verse 21, where Eliphaz seems to have a dream, some grave, great insight that he wants to share with Job. A word was delivered to me secretly. My ears caught a whisper of it. In the middle of anxious thoughts arising from visions in the night, at the time when deep sleep falls upon people, terror and trembling came over me and made all my bones tremble. A spirit passed in front of my face. The hair on my body stood on end. A figure stood in front of me, and I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes, and I heard a quiet voice say, Can a person be righteous before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? If God does not trust his own servants, but he charges his messengers with error, how much more than those who dwell in clay houses, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more quickly than a moth. From dawn to dusk, they are smashed to pieces. They perish forever, and no one even notices. Won't the ropes that hold up their tents be pulled up so that they die without gaining wisdom? So he has a vision. So he, I guess as a friend, he is uh, looking for proof to Job that what he is about to say is valid and is true. He is a, and the authority that he is, he's uh, referencing is a dream that he had. And the main point that he has about the dream is verse 17. Kind of anticlimactic. It isn't a, as great as an insight as you might think. He says, can a person be righteous before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Of course, that answer is true. What Eliphaz has said is true. Can we be righteous before God? There's no way that we can be righteous before God. But is it true for Job? Is Job uh, needing to, to change his relationship with God? Has Job done something that has damaged his relationship with God? The answer we know is no. And Job thinks the same thing. He says, I haven't done anything. Yes, Job doesn't think that he is a sinner, but he doesn't think that there is anything that he has done that merits God uh, treating him this way. The friends, of course, think differently, and thus the conversation that we have between them and Job. I like how he mentions how if God doesn't trust his own servants, he charges his messengers with error. That's a message, that's a reference to God um, judging the angels when the angels fell away. And God did something about that. You know, he sent created hell for them and they, they were thrown out of heaven. 
Again, that's true. But is that true for Job? No. Um, that's chapter 4. Look at that. We did a whole chapter already. Chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 to 7. I'll, I'll pause here for a little coffee break. Call out, is there anyone there to answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? It's true, the fool is killed by resentment, and the gullible are put to death by jealousy. I myself have seen a fool putting down roots, but immediately I pronounce a curse on his home. His children are far from safety. They are crushed at the city gate without a defender. His harvest is eaten away by the hungry, who snatch it away even from among the thorns, and the thirsty swallow his children's wealth. Disaster does not spring up from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the soil. No, mankind is born for trouble as surely as flames fly upward. The comment that was made in Bible class is, oh, he's saying a lot of things, a lot of words, not saying a whole lot. And again, here we are seeing a little bit of his tactlessness. Uh, who do we know? Who do we know had was in a tent? And uh wind came along and the tent fell down and killed them all. Yeah, Job's Job's kids. And Eliphaz is telling Job, um, the fool, the wicked, does these terrible things and then God in his justice and his judgment sends these calamities. Again, not a direct accusation at Job, indirect uh Still not very tactful. Again, uh, as we're going through this, feel free uh, to ask questions down below. And I, if you um, want to do a chapter and verse, say a chapter 5 verse, this, what did you mean? And comment down below, and uh, I'll, I will answer that comment. So that's a, a good way of having a an online Bible class without... Um, without it being live. So unfortunately, we can't do it live. Our internet speed just isn't fast enough. Let's look at verses 8 to 16. But I want to appeal to God. This is Eliphaz still speaking. I want to present my case to him. He does great things that are beyond investigation. His miracles that are too many to be counted. He provides rain for the earth. He provides he waters the fields in the countryside. He raises the lowly to the heights, and he lifts those who mourn to safety. He foils the plots of clever schemers so that their hands achieve no success. He traps the wise in their schemes, and the plans of the devious come to a swift end. By day they encounter darkness, and at noon they grope around as if it were night. He saves the poor from the mouth that cut like a sword, and from the hand of the strong. He does this so that the helpless will have hope and injustice will shut its mouth. So which category would this fit under? He's talking about God and how wonderful he is, and how God can do anything uh, that he asks, and how great are his works. Of course, this is a, a statement that's true, and true for Job as well, a reminder to Job that uh, the God that he worships is a God who can do anything. Good reminder for the book of Job. So Eliphaz isn't all bad. Um, 
Yeah. So let's keep going. Verses 17 to 27. Consider this, how blessed is the man whom God corrects. Do not reject the discipline of the Almighty. For although he may inflict wounds, he also bandages them. Though he may strike, his hands also heal. From six calamities he will rescue you. In seven no harm will touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death. And in battle he will redeem you from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the lash of the tongue. And you will not be afraid of devastation when it comes. You will laugh at devastation and hunger. You will not be afraid of the wild animals of the countryside. There will be a covenant between you and the stones in the field. And the wild animals will be at peace with you. And you will know that your tent is secure. And when you inspect your property, you will find nothing missing. You will know that your offspring will be many, and your descendants will be like grass from the earth. You will come to the grave at a ripe old age, like a stack of sheaves that is gathered in season. Consider this. We have investigated this carefully, and it is true. Pay close attention and apply it to yourself. Okay, what category would this fit under? Is this true? Is this true but not applicable to Job? Or is this plainly false? It's true, right? The discipline of the Lord is good. Um, Sometimes the Lord allows evil to happen to us. He's going to use evil um, for our good. to draw us closer to him. But is it Job's fault that this evil has happened to him? Is this some sort of sin that Job has done that now God is uh, reprimanding him for and so that Job would be stronger in the end? That's the part where we have issue with. That's the part where this would be uh, a true statement, but maybe not true for Job. I think of uh, someone who is a victim of rape. How tactless it would be for us to go to them and say, you know, the Lord's going to use this to make you stronger in the end. And while that might be true, it has this veneer of, uh, you needed that. Like, a God was, you needed that. You had somehow incurred this sort of discipline on your life that this terrible thing happened to you. And that's where Job's friends slide off the rails. That's where they're, they're, um, they're pointing the finger at Job, that there's something that you did, Job. Go back and confess that sin, and then, not, then you'll be restored. We know, of course, from the story, that in Job's case, the bad things happened to Job because of a contest between God and the devil. And God knew that Job would prevail. God knew that Job had all of the tools needed to prevail in that situation. This is what the friends miss and forget. That is Eliphaz's first round. Um, was it a good thing? What, what, is there anything you learned about talking with your friends? Sometimes it's a, it's, it's a reminder to us not to assume what our friends are thinking and to actually ask them, what's going on? How are you feeling? And to respond to that rather than how we might respond or how what we might feel 
I know as a pastor, sometimes that has been my mistake where I've looked at somebody's situation and I said, if I were in their shoes, I would be thinking A or B or C. And then I would go and talk to them. And then I would talk to them as if A, B or C is going through their mind. And uh, they'll say, well, I wasn't even thinking about that. Or um, maybe they are not as um, questioning of God as I would, would be if that situation happened to me. So, it's good for us to remind ourselves that when we're talking with people, we can't read their minds and what they're thinking. We can be, um, our emotions can go out to them. We can want to be with them. We want to give them comfort, but we also have to understand where they are, uh, what's going on in their minds, uh, and listen. In Bible class, we talked about, you know, sometimes it's good to be quiet. Sometimes it's good to have those times of silence and allow the person who is suffering the opportunity to, to share that information with us instead of us trying to fill up the space uh, with our words. It's tough to do, to sit in a room and not say anything. And we noted how sometimes, you know, the Job's friends, they sat there for seven days and said nothing. Um, and that was not necessarily a good thing because of what Job spews out at the end of those seven days. And um, there's that what if, what if the, the friends had said some, said some comfort to Job before he got to that point. Of course, we'll never know. It's a what-if question. But it is something for us to consider the timing as we are and the tact as we deal with others. Here we go. We've got Job's second speech uh, in chapter 6. We're going to look at the first seven verses. Then Job responded, If only my grief would be weighed and my devastation placed on scales with it. They would certainly weigh more than the sand of the sea. No wonder my words have been rash. The arrows of the Almighty stick in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are lined up against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has green grass? Does the ox bellow when it is near its fodder? Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Is there flavor in the white of an egg? I absolutely refuse to touch it. It is no better than sickening food. Um, the first, those first verses remind us that Job is really feeling alone. The God that he wishes that he could pray to is the God who seems to be against him. So he wonders to himself, should I even be talking to him? Because he is the one who's inflicting me. Maybe he is somehow uh, turned in his relationship to me in a way that I don't understand, in a way that is unjust. And that really is uh, Job's main complaint as we get further and further. It's kind of a spoiler alert. Further and further in the book of Job, where Job asks God and wants to put God essentially on trial. God, go on the witness stand. I have some questions for you. Uh, he is seeming, he's, he's looking at his situation in his life, and he is not seeing a, a loving God behind it. He is not seeing even a disciplined God. He is seeing a God who is... Um, angry with him, set against him. Oftentimes for the Christian, uh, when we undergo suffering, when it seems like we are far away from God, uh, we call that the theology of the cross. Sometimes God's greatest expression of love for us are when it seems like he's furthest away, when we have nothing to go on except for his word. And Job is is getting to that point because he knows who God is, and he knows 
information about him. Of course, he doesn't have the old, whole Old Testament. He doesn't have the New Testament. But just what he knows about God and how God is treating him doesn't match up. You and I can have the same thing, where what we know about God, that he is loving and kind and he is our, our Father in heaven who wants everything for us, but sometimes God uh, treats us as if we are on the outside, as if he is against us, as if he, he is far away. And it is at those times that we are led to go to his word and led to go to his word which says, Lord, you love me, you forgive me, not because I'm going through this, not because of anything I've done, but you love me because your word loves me. Um, one time a member said to me, uh, when I get to heaven and someone were to ask me, if Je- or if Jesus were to ask me, um, why are you here? The member would say, because you wanted me here. Relying on God's promises and on his word and not on um, the outward externals is where we see the, the greatness of God's love for us and the greatness of what God has done for us. But Job doesn't have that. Job is still is still feeling like God is against him. He needs that comfort that God still loves him, irregardless of his situation. And he's not getting that from Eliphaz. Um, and then we have in verses five to seven, we see how Job is. Um, we get a, a little bit into his mind of what it's like to be Job. Uh, he mentions how animals like to eat certain foods and how they get excited about certain foods that they eat. And, and, uh, how salt enhances the food that he eats and the, the white of an egg, you know, has, has a flavor that he, that some people enjoy. And Job finds no joy in those flavors. He finds no joy in food. Um, it's kind of like someone who, who was getting food in a tube and how they long, sometimes they long to have a real juicy steak. Job is in so much misery. He doesn't even long uh, for a good juicy steak or any kind of tasty food at all. In fact, he has a very uh, dark request that we're going to look at in verses 8 to 13. If only my request would be granted, if only God would grant me what I hope for, that God would decide to crush me, that he would unleash his hand and cut me off, for then I would still have this cup, excuse me, for then I would still have this comfort, even as I writhe in relentless pain. I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have to wait? Hopefully, what end awaits me that I would would want me? It would make me want to prolong my life. Is my strength like stone, or is my flesh bronze? Certainly, I have no power to help myself, since the hope that I can recover has been driven far away from me. Job wishes that he would die. And the reason why he wishes that he would die is because up to this point, Job has not turned away from God. Up to this point, he has not denied the word of God that he had received. And he's scared that if his life were to keep going as it is, that that would be his fate. That's why he wishes to die, because he knows he's trusting in God. He doesn't. He's not going to take his own life. He's not going to make a plan to take his own life. 
he just wishes that he would die. And he is, uh, in a sense, uh, praying to God, God, take my life because I know right now if I were to die, I would be with you in heaven. And as we'll see later, that there'll be a resurrection at the end of time. So he wants to stay in the state of grace, but he doesn't want to be here on earth any longer. Uh, verse 14 to 23, and he's going to start talking to his friends again. This is a good time to take a break. Now, you can take a break throughout this and sip your favorite beverage, but I'm going to take a break and sip my favorite beverage right now. All right, verse 14. A despairing person should receive loyalty from his friends, even if he forsakes the fear of the Almighty even if he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as gullies that dry up, dependable as seasonable streams which overflow when they are darkened by ice and swollen with melting snow. But as quickly as they flood, they dry up in the scorching winds. When it gets hot, they vanish from their channels. Caravans turn aside from their routes. They go off into the empty wasteland and perish. The caravans of Tima search for those streams. The travelers of Sheba hope to find them. But despite being confident, they are disappointed. They arrive there only to be frustrated. Now that is what you are like. For you have seen something dreadful, and you panic. Have I said, give me something or offer a payment on behalf from your wealth? Have I said, save me from the hand of my enemy, or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me, and I will be silent. Help me understand what I have done wrong, how painful honest words are. But what does your rebuke prove? Do you intend to attack me for mere words by treating things said? By a despairing man like wind? No doubt you would even cast lots for a fatherless child or barter away your friend. But now please look at me. I would not lie to your face. Turn to me and get rid of injustice. Turn to me. My righteousness is still intact. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Wouldn't my mouth detect it if I were speaking destructive words? He compares his friends to streams in the desert, which have, when there's rain, there's... It runs, but then eventually they dry up. So some of the things that the friends are saying to him are comforting to him, as we've noted before, that this might be a good thing to remind Job of this or remind Job of that. But as a whole, Job considers them to be <laughs> dried streams. No good. Uh, they don't, they're not comforting him. In fact, he's saying, you guys aren't even listening to me. You're treating my words as if they're like wind, like they're just blowing past you. They're, you're not you're not listening to me. You just have something said in your own mind, and now you want to say it. You're uh, just waiting for me to stop talking so you can talk. That sort of thing. Job isn't afraid of honest words. Uh, he is not afraid of the truth. And he makes the accusation that his friends aren't telling the, him the truth. They are just, they have their own agenda. And instead of going to and knowing from what God in his word says, they're just spewing forth their own ideas. I think that ever happens today where people don't want to share God's word or have their own uh, sick twist of, of God's word, like, oh, there, there, it'll be all right, or it'll all be better, um, that your life here on earth will, will, will improve, or something to that effect. Does God promise in his word, that our life is going to get better? 
Does he promise in his word that as we get closer to him, that he will come down to us and, and, and overflow us with blessing? Is that what God promises? Is that what we see in the early church? That the apostles and the early church, their lives just got better and better as, and, as more and more they believed in Jesus? Oh, we see it trial and problems and persecution, uh, the early church even being put to death. Members of the early church even being, even being put to death. So God doesn't promise um, those things, but he does promise to be with us. He does promise to uh, walk with us as we travel through the valley of the shadow of death. He does promise uh, to give us strength for every day, uh, strength to to do what he has asked us to do. Um, he also at the very end says to his friends, um, I'm no dummy and I'm watching over myself. I, it's not that when he makes a claim that he's blameless and righteous, sometimes you might think that's just Job um, being egotistical, maybe being arrogant, uh, that who, who would say that they're a follower of God? And Job reminds his friends that he's watching himself. He is monitoring his own soul. He is not beyond any sin that he is willing to correct himself. He is, he's open to correction. He's open uh, to look at himself and examine himself and say, I'm a sinner too. So Job's friend shouldn't uh, uh, take his words and his reaction to them as if Job is not inviting criticism. It's just that the words that they have for Job are not true. They are, they're not true for Job. They are, some of the things they say are true, just not for Job. Chapter seven, one more, one more chapter. We're going to uh, look at chapter seven all at once. In chapter seven, Job turns his dialogue away from his friends and now is going to talk to God. And uh, this is actually a precursor, a foreshadowing of the conversation and the points that Job makes about the Lord. Let's read. Is it man's time on earth like being compelled to serve in the army? Aren't his days like those of a hired man? Like a slave, he longs for shade. Or like a day laborer, he waits for his prey. In the same way, I have been allotted months of futility. The nights of agony here have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? But the night drags on, and I am filled with restlessness until dawn. My flesh is clothed with maggots and caked with dirt. My skin scabs over and then oozes again. My days pass by more swiftly than the shuttle of a weaver's loom. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is just a breath. My eyes will never see, never again see good fortune. The eyes that have seen me now will no longer watch me. Your eyes will look for me, but I will not be there. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so does the one who goes down to the grave. He does not come back up again. He never again returns to his home, and his place will no longer know him. That is why I will not put restraint in my mouth. That is not I will that is why I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit, I will lament in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a great creature of the deep that you need to put me under guard? When I say that my bed will comfort me and my couch will help me with my lament, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So I would prefer to be strangled. I would prefer death more than my current existence. 
I reject my life. I do not want to live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are just a vanishing vapor. What is man that you make so much of him, that you pay so much attention to him, that you inspect him every morning and test him every minute? Why do you never stop watching me? Why don't you leave me alone long enough for me to swallow my spit? If I have sinned, what harm has it done to you, you who keep watch on mankind? Why have you set me up as your target? How have I become a burden to you? Why do you not forgive my rebellion? Why do you not take away my guilt? Soon I will lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will not be there. Job turns to his friends, from his friends, to address God. He pleads with God to leave him alone or to put him out of his misery and let him die. We have um, an account of how things are going for Job. What's it like to be uh, Job lying down and then waiting for the morning? Just When he gets down to sleep, he, it's like, well, how long before I, I wake up again? Um, he is uh, haunted by visions and terrible uh, visions at night, whatever they might be. You think about how you are when you don't get the sleep that you need. I know how I am when I don't get the sleep I need. And the next day and the following days, I'm just off. I'm not at the top of my game. We have the same thing as true for Job. Because he is going to make some beautiful statements and then some not-so-beautiful statements. Some He's going to say, God, um, uh, I like that part. Uh, what is that? Uh, verse 21, why do you not forgive my rebellion? Why do you not take away my guilt? Just this idea of, God, I confess my sin to you. You promised to take those things away. And why why are you acting as if you haven't? That's a good thing. To hold God accountable to his word. God, you promised me. You wanted me to be here in heaven. You wanted me to be forgiven. You you promised that you're, you would uh, forgive all of my sins. Now, why are you acting as if you didn't? Now, however, he's got some not-so-good statements as well, where he says, uh, if I have sinned, what harm has it done to you? You who keep watch on mankind. So Job starts comparing himself to the rest of humanity and says, God, um, look at the rest of humanity. Um, what, if you are treating me this way because of some sin that I have done, um, be consistent with the rest of humanity. The rest of humanity is not, not that good. And they seem to be doing okay. They don't have boils on their, on their, on their skin. They're, uh, families are still with them. They haven't had their families except for their wife wiped out in one day. So that's where you get some some statements from Job that that uh, takes off the armor, maybe takes off the respect that we have for Job. But then again, who of us could have all of this happen to us and still still hold God accountable to his word. Who of us would still believe in God if all of this stuff happened to us? That's the question that uh, one of the Bible class members asked. He said, you know, Job is revealing to us that he is just like us. He is a sinner, but boy, he is still, his integrity is, is pretty high. 
the fact that he still holds on to God and his promises, even despite his lack of sleep, even despite the fact that he uh, food doesn't taste good, even the fact that he had this extreme loss of losing his property and losing his children, he is still, still wanting to talk to God, still wanting to have a conversation with God. Um, my question at the end of the class was, uh, what have you learned about handling a person's anger at God from conversations between Eliphaz and Job? Job is, I don't know if you caught it in these verses, but he is angry at God. Um, why are you picking on me, essentially? Why are you inspecting me every minute and all that stuff? How does a Christian handle their anger at God? My advice to you, if you are angry at God for whatever circumstances there are in your life, go read the Psalms. The Psalms, and I, I'll recommend some to you as well. The Psalms, oftentimes, they start off and they are angry with God. They, they, An emotion that they have towards God is directed at God. And we might think, well, that's sinful. It's sinful to, to be angry with God that that's breaking the first commandment. I think it it's angry because what we know of God, a God who is loving and kind, is not the God that we're seeing. And we're trying to reconcile the both, both of those things. And that that emotion comes out of that. Well, what are we going to say to God? What the Psalms do that. Some of the Psalms are very raw. Their emotions are very raw, directed at God, but then uh they are consoled also as they were they were reminded of what God has promised or what God will do or some some other words and comforts of God. That's what make the Psalms such a treasure for the church throughout time. That when 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 God doesn't make sense, when the pathway of life just isn't even, isn't level, isn't uh, reasonable, isn't logical, isn't going the way that we would expect, that's where we, we would find peace, is directing that anger at God and then, most importantly, hearing his word, going back to his word, going back to his, what has God done for you? What will, will God do? And if you catch it in chapters 6 and 7, what is Job hanging on to? What gives him hope even in the midst, even when he says he doesn't have hope? He he despairs of this life. He doesn't want to live forever here on earth. He doesn't want to live on here. Earth has nothing he desires. But what gives him some sort of semblance of hope is God's promise of heaven and of the resurrection. That's what he's going to hold on to. And that's what Christians can also hold on to when it appears that God doesn't make sense. That's Job chapter 4 to 7, the first conversation. We're in the first conversation, the first round between the three the three friends and Job. I have to be careful because sometimes if I do the other one, people think I'm making a racial hand gesture, and it's not racial. The three, the first round of the first conversation between the three friends and Job. And next time, we'll do the next round. We'll build that. Uh, has a conversation with Job and Job's response to that. So until then, uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, which reminds us always of what you have done for us. 
uh, give us peace when it seems like the world is spiraling out of control, when our lives seem to be spiraling out of control, remind us of what you have done and who you are and uh, help us and give us the strength and patience we need when the world is is out of sorts and when our lives are out of sorts. Teach us to depend on you and your word. Help us to look at our own lives too. And if there is any sin, that we would address it. Not because, not to say that the sin that happens in our lives is the result or the evil that happens in our lives is the result of our sin, but just as, as an occasion for us uh, to be reflexive and to take that sin to you and to, and to have it forgiven because that's ultimately... That is our relationship with you. Our sins being taken away because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Thank you for the wonderful comfort that we have from his word. And help us also um, to be tactful and to be comforting to our friends who are suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we will see you next week in our ongoing study of the book of Job.